It's Midday Magazine for June 19th. It's Juneteenth, and I'm Shelby Herbert. Petersburg's Borough Assembly has a light agenda ahead of tonight's meeting. The Assembly will meet in the Assembly Chambers at 6 p.m. to review two new topics of business. They're considering an ordinance that would rezone part of Service Area 1 to make way for building a new medical center. The ordinance would redesignate portions of land near the airport for public use. That area includes the Airport Edition subdivision and 13th Street. However, the local planning commission voted against rezoning a part of that area last week. So the hospital project is caught in a holding pattern unless Petersburg Medical Center can successfully appeal the commission's decision. PMC has until Friday, June 23rd, to submit the appeal. The other new item on the Assembly's agenda is a resolution to temporarily change the Assembly meeting schedule to accommodate Mayor Mark Jensen's summer fishing plans. Jensen participates in a summer fishery that conflicts with the regularly scheduled Assembly meetings from July through September. If the Assembly passes the resolution, the next three months of meetings will be moved from Mondays to Thursdays. Again, Petersburg's Borough Assembly will meet at 6 p.m. tonight in the Assembly Chambers. KFSK will broadcast that live and post the recording on our website, kfsk.org. Anyone from the community can join the meeting in person, by phone, or on Zoom. And there's more information on KFSK's community calendar. It's been nearly three years since the Archbishop of the Orthodox Church of Alaska passed away. The church elected a new bishop last year, a major move for the Alaska Diocese, which is arguably the largest diocese in the entire Orthodox Church. In May, Alaska's new leader, Bishop Alexei, made his first visit to the Aleutian and Pribilof Islands, some of the furthest flung parishes in the diocese. Theo Greenlee reports from Unalaska. There are around 50 people who live in Atka, and about half of them are at the airstrip to meet the plane that just landed. But on this gray, windy morning in late May, they're here for more than the usual shipment of mail and occasionally donuts from Dutch Harbor. A tall man with long gray beard, flowing black robes, emerges from the plane, and the people greet him with a hymn. Bishop Alexei took over as the head of the Alaska Diocese last year after the previous Bishop David Mahaffey passed away in 2020. He says he's been trying to visit the 80 or so parishes in his vast region. I'm in the Aleutians uh, making a pastoral visit to reach out to the people, to let the people know that the church which uh, has been with them, uh, supporting them, supporting their culture from the very beginning, um, that it is still here. Um, COVID has kept me out. And now that COVID is beginning to recede, I'm there uh, to be with the people. The Orthodox Church holds a complicated position in Unanga culture and history. While many Russian settlers committed atrocities in the Aleutian Islands, the Orthodox Church was widely embraced, in part because it integrated Unanga traditions and culture into the church. The Russian Church always took what they saw in the community, saw in the people, and they said, this is beautiful, this is worth preserving. The bishop's also here to perform the hierarchical divine liturgy, 
which is only served in His Grace's presence. But there's been a bit of a hiccup. We heard, you know, the flights the day before had canceled. Crystal Dushkin grew up in Atka, and she helped organize the bishop's visit. She says the bishop's flight was almost canceled. It was touch and go, but the bishop and the clergy did make it in. But the bishop's bags, they got bumped. Oh yeah, the vestments didn't make it in. The bishop wears special liturgical robes, and he can't perform certain services without them, including the hierarchical divine liturgy. I asked Dushkin about it. She isn't phased. I got to tell you, I I was nervous. <laughs> I I um was kind of oddly calm. It actually worked out beautifully because the bishop with not having his vestments, he wasn't able to serve. And so he sang with us in the choir. St. Nicholas Church is one of the oldest parishes in the state, and it hasn't had a resident priest since 1899. Still, the congregation has maintained the songs and liturgies for over a century. They're performed in several languages, including English, Church Slavonic, and Unungam Tanu. There is um, a great love for the tradition, a great love for the languages that that they've maintained. Uh, Almost, not almost, they have maintained miraculously. So they held evening services, and the bishop sang in the choir. But the next morning, the clouds parted, the heavens shone down, and a Beechcraft King Air twin turboprop plane landed in Atka, this time with the vestments, and just in time for church. Well, by the grace of God, by the prayers of St. Nicholas, by the prayers of St. Yaakov, we were able to celebrate the divine, hierarchical divine liberty. Getting the vestments here uh, was, of course, no easy task. There was no easy task to get the relics of St. Uh, Nikolai from... Uh, Most of the folks in Atka are congregants, and the church still holds a special place in the community. Church attendance in Alaska has declined in recent years, following similar trends of varying faiths across the nation. Still, more than 200 years after the Russian Orthodox Church was established in Alaska, the church sites roughly 50,000 to 60,000 adherents statewide. In Atka, I'm Theo Greenley. Senator Dan Sullivan says he's trying to close a loophole in the U.S. ban on importing seafood from Russia. There has been a huge loophole where the Russians have been now sending their fish, its pollock, its salmon, a little bit less crab, um, to other countries for reprocessing, primarily China. President Joe Biden signed an, an import ban on Russian seafood last year saying it would help ensure that Americans weren't indirectly financing Russia's war on Ukraine through their purchases. But the United States doesn't require that seafood imports be traced to their country of origin. So millions of dollars of Russian fish go to China and are then exported to the United States. Last year, the U.S. imported more than $300 million worth of salmon and pollock from China. Some of it was caught in the U.S. and sent to China for processing. 
but a majority is likely to be from Russia, according to an International Trade Commission report. Sullivan told reporters last Thursday that he's talking to officials in the Biden administration about closing the loophole and is also sponsoring legislation, as he did last year. Bottom line, what this does is it bans all Russian origin fish wherever it goes to be reprocessed. Again, primarily China. We think this is a really big deal for our country to nail the Russians as they're trying to evade sanctions after their brutal invasion of Ukraine. Environmental groups and the Alaska, uh, the American pollock industry are among those calling for the loophole to be closed. But U.S. companies that process and sell imported fish oppose bans that decimate their supply. In the Kuskokwim River hub city of Bethel, everything is connected to fishing in one way or another. The beginning of summer really means the beginning of the fishing season. And as Evan Erickson reports, the frantic passage of thousands of smelt through Bethel was a signal that summer had begun. We dry them, fry them, bake them, boil them, freeze them. Smoke them. Dry them and smoke them. Smoke them and then I jar them like sardines, you know. We, We whisk eggs, put it in, then put it in flour, then deeper. These are really good. I'm a bodybuilder. You could go up 50 pounds on these in, like, no time. In front of the Joe Lomack building on the Bethel Riverfront, people with extended dip nets jockeyed for position along the seawall to catch the peak of the run swimming upriver from Oscarville. Bill Howell has been fishing the smelt since 1987. It's all about timing. I mean, they could just come through for six, eight hours, and it's done. But this wasn't combat fishing by any means. What seemed to be on people's minds was spreading as much fish as possible around the community. You want us to help you? We'll fill up your bucket. We'll fill up your bucket. One man claiming that his legal name was Ricky Spider-Man tirelessly scooped up a dozen or more smelt in each net load to dole out to passers-by. I'm trying to fill up as much of these as possible and just give it to the people that come by. To the people quick coming. On a Bethel Facebook group, calls went out for sharing the harvest. Some volunteered their dip nets, and for those who couldn't make it to the riverfront, there were multiple willing delivery drivers. One man was even reportedly seen going door-to-door, offering up the fresh smelt to any takers. Moses Dooney didn't even plan to fish the smelt, but he hasn't been able to return to his home village of Russian Mission on the Yukon River due to the runway being flooded. So he decided to give it a shot. We're getting homesick, but I'm very happy to get some smelts. I will share these with my uh, family members at Russian Mission. We don't get these at home. The day before, Connie Pavla had gotten a hold of some of the smelt near Napaskiak on their journey upriver to Bethel. The ones we worked on yesterday, they're smaller than these. These are bigger. It's too fun. You get carried away. You overcatch, too. You guys going to get any more? Before they run out, then go attack. <laughs> Holy moly, these are bigger. Paul Roll and Katie Daniels only had to walk a few feet from their offices at the Lomac building to get a piece of the action. You got the touch, Katie. <laughs> Son of a gun. You got the touch. Oops. And I don't. Oh, I only caught one that time. What's going on, Katie? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Is it the reporter? Yeah, just ruined the vibe. <laughs> this is amazing. Where else? Where else can you go smelting thirty yards from your office door? 
And, and we're off the clock, too, by the way. <laughs> by early evening, the flow of smelt began to subside. Thousands of the nutrient-rich fish are being spread throughout the community thanks to a culture of sharing going back millennia. The smelt run marks the beginning of the season of harvesting. And for those living along the Kuskokwim River, it is just one example of nature's bounty. Smell Subsistence here. in general is the highlight of living in Bethel. Not having to eat all that factory farm junk from all over the planet. You know, I mean, we get all this beautiful, natural, indigenous protein here, and it's just, it just can't be beat, man. You can't do it better than Mother Nature, you know. In Bethel, I'm Evan Erickson. <laughs> Two common chemotherapy drugs are in short supply in Alaska. Cisplatin and carboplatin are used to treat many types of cancer, like ovarian, bladder, and testicular cancer. According to the state health department, oncology centers around Alaska and across the country are struggling to keep the drugs in stock. Andre Neptune is the executive director of the Pharmacy for Providence, Alaska. He says so far, their oncology center has been able to meet the needs of all its current patients on these drugs. But Providence oncologists aren't putting new patients on the drugs. And he says they don't know if they'll have interruptions in care in the future. We are kind of week to week. We know we have enough to treat through the end of next week. My hope and prayer is that we will get another shipment of carboplatin in before then and we'll continue to go. According to the American Society of Health System Pharmacists, the shortage of carboplatin should start to ease in late June. For cisplatin, it's likely to ease in mid-July, but there are no guarantees. Neptune says that carboplatin and cisplatin are never the only options for care for someone. He says if people can't start new care with the drugs or if their care gets interrupted, they should talk with their providers. He says if the shortages of cisplatin and carboplatin worsen, Providence has a plan for designating who gets access first. He says they prioritize patients who are more likely to be cured by the treatment. We'll look at treatments for pediatric patients and for those patients for whom the treatment could greatly enhance or extend their life. And that's a difficult assessment to make. Neptune says the shortage is not unique. In the U.S., there have been drug shortages for the past 20 years. But, Neptune says, the number of drug shortages has increased over that time. In this case, the the shortage is due to a disruption for a major drug manufacturer in India. But he says sometimes shortages are caused by extreme weather or access to raw materials. Shortages are kind of our life in pharmacy right now. And on any given day... If you were to walk into our department and talk to our inventory team, they're struggling with some drug that's in a shortage status. Neptune says Providence is in partnership with generic drug manufacturer Civica to address shortages. But it takes a long time to start producing a new drug. This is Midday Magazine. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert.